Thank you for tuning into Destiny House Church as we seek to draw closer to Jesus. We're so glad you've joined us today. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Court or one of the other anointed speakers as we pursue the Father's heart. As things progress, we, we get into the the part. Hey, she can't she can't take care of herself. Um, she's going to need twenty four seven care. How many people here are fully aware that you better be careful of what you say because the Lord will read your words? Rachel struggled with her mom's having a stroke. Getting the power of attorney paperwork in place, trying to figure out nursing home, skilled nursing, who accepts the insurance. You've got 14 family opinions on what to do and how to proceed. And just in, in the midst of all that, you're trying to make hard decisions. You're trying to to make those So, God bless her. Rachel will do everything and anything in her power to keep that from happening. Um, so, whenever the question came, you know, what do you, what do you think about her moving here? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what to think. I don't know how to feel. I, I know what it would do to you. Give yourself if there was 
And at first, I'm just, I'm, I'm dead set against it ain't happening. Um, but I begin to, begin to think, how much does this mean? How much does it mean to my wife? <clears throat> and the Lord brought me back to, you know, hey, just, just about a month or so ago, didn't, didn't you say to expect to take people when you come? Give them whatever you have, open it up for a place to stay. <sighs> yeah, I did. I, I did. Um, my word is saved.
his will to his children concerning their attitudes toward one another, toward all men, and if he desires for them to express his essential nature. 1 John 4, 8. Love can only be known from the actions it prompts as God's love is seen in the gifts of his Son. Love seeks the welfare of all. <clears throat> in respect of and fostering a reverential love in them towards the giver, a practical love towards those who are partakers of the same, and a desire to help others to seek the giver. Agape expresses a more reasoning attachment of choice, of choice and selection, uh, seeing in the object upon whom it is bestowed that which is worthy of Phileo, without being necessarily an unreasoning attachment, does yet give less account of itself to itself. It's more instinctive, is more of the feelings of or, or natural affections, implies more passion. Uh, agape, agapeo is purged of all coldness and is deeper than phileo, which implies instinctive affection, affection attachment. But agapeo a sentiment based on judgment and adulation which selects its object for reason. So to break these down with a little help uh, from uh, Precept Austin Phileo is friendship love. And scripture Phileo is used to describe the love of God. The Father and the Son, Jesus and Peter, and of Jonathan and David. Phileo love is basically emotional. based on the, on the qualities of another person that you find admirable or Phileo is a fellowship type uh, manifested in a living and growing relationship between two things. Phileo love does feed on response and it cannot survive long without response from the other. Friendship, friendship love requires attention. Phileo describes a Judas's kiss of betrayal of Jesus and the Gospels. 
Except it makes total sense, right? It's clear as mud. When we take a step back, we gain the perspective that phileo is used in a much more intimate manner, that there's, there's conversation, there's reciprocation, there's friendship. Agape, on the other hand, seems as though it is a higher form of love. While not necessarily as intimate, all the more beautiful, because it is, it is not the love that means love in return. It is an unconditional love. It is a love that is given by the Holy Spirit. It is a love that the world is not familiar with or knows. This was the love shown when Christ pulled the cross. A good place to see both of these in action would be marriage. Phileo is where we, we share our dreams, our hopes, our ambitions, our, our, our conversations, our intimacy in, in the relationship, where agape would be the vows you make. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor. It's for worse. It's the for worse parts. It's for the, the, the poor parts. It's in the sickness parts, in the death to less part these are the unconditional terms of our vows. I promise to love you even when you can't love me. And although at times we, 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 we have hills and valleys and we, we lose those intimate moments and just having the relationship, it does not make this any less beautiful that, that I'm going to love you even when you can't love me back. I'm going to love you because I have determined that you are worthy of my regard, my affection, my love, regardless of do for me in return. While these two loves walk hand in hand, they are distinctive and essential characteristics to each. Uh, another quick example uh, I'll give that the precept Austin provided is that believers are never told to love their enemies with a phileo love because that would imply one has to have the same interests. The agape love is hard. It does not come easily. To see this kind of love, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, didn't go through 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, if you brought your Bibles, you can turn there and uh, read along with me. If not, that's quite all right. Um, but quickly, I'll cover the last that that last word. <clears throat> that, that last word was. Eros was used in classical Greek to portray a physical appetite and action. Eros was the god of love and was the son of Aphrodite. Corinth had a temple to Aphrodite and were well aware of this concept of physical love. Today we have this, this idea, this concept, love is love. No, it's not. No, it's not. Eros is Eros. say they believe in God, but they got it completely different. Got it completely from God. So, <clears throat> few truly know what love is. True love. Agape love corrects, it protects, it chastises. This is the love that the world seems to be all too One other thing that, that uh, was pointed out 
1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> We're all probably aware that this is the love chapter, often recited at weddings, and mine being one of them, dives into what love really is and what it looks like. Being, <clears throat> being a Pentecostal church, it's easier than most to get wrapped up in being consumed with the, the working and the gifts of the Spirit. The Corinthian church was in much of the same position. still all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemingly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three are the greatest of these. It's charity. I'm going to jump to verse 4, and I'll swing back around to pick up 1 through 3. But in verse 4, Paul begins to define love. These are going to be some short but hopefully helpful bullet points on each. So, long-suffering. Long-suffering is... Long-suffering comes along in the package with the agape love. This is, not the, this is not the love that you can fall into and out of. It's determined. There, there comes a willingness in us to endure the failings of others. Christ is our example. He endured the cross. Look how uh, God endured the, the Israelites, who he called the stiff-necked people. is thought to revolve around your attitude while suffering. Your attitude during the enduring. There are some that are good at suffering and bringing people into their suffering to suffer with them. Envy comes out of covetousness. When you're not envious, 
is not boastful. Boasting or praising those that are doing a good job is one thing. This boasting is declaring something excellent to the hurt of another. Whatever you have done, someone has done it better, and it's, it's brought up and it's mentioned with the intent to damage or hurt the other person. Is not puffed up. It's not prideful. Our, our culture encourages pride. Just feel better about the poor job you're doing rather than doing the work to make it excellent. But there's also an idiom here uh, as a result of the, of the leaven. It creates volume without substance. They're puffed up. They magnify their own foolishness. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It does not think of itself before others. It's not easily provoked. This is particularly difficult for some of us. Try as we may, it seems that it's never enough. <clears throat> we see red, and before we know it, we've, we've often acted out sinfully. Remember, we're to be angry and sin not. This love does not easily get involved in skirmishes. Thinks no evil. The word for thinks is an accounting term. Its use here is that there is no record of any wrongdoings. Now I'm sure almost everyone here knows someone that could tell you what happened at, a, at the birthday party or a Christmas or a wedding two years ago and exactly what you said and the expression on your face when you said it. God doesn't do that. How many have heard, I'll forgive you So at the beginning of the chapter, I'll jump back to, to the beginning. Paul is drawing on the gifts of the Spirit that were seemingly emphasized at the church of Corinth without much of the fruit of the Spirit. While the gifts are important, Paul brings them back to ground zero, pointing out that the gifts of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, without love, you are completely ineffective. He calls into question what their foundation really is. Is it the gifts or is it the fruit? Paul points out that the fruit of the Spirit, namely love, that ought to be the foundation in which everything else operates. As an example of having, having the gift of prophecy without love, Balaam. Balaam was the prophet that sold uh, prophecy for a to, to a king and tried to 
curse the Israelites. <clears throat> At the end of the chapter, he closes with that when that when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. He's bringing them back around to prophecy, tongues, and knowledge that there will come a time when even they will cease. But love will continue. Love never ends. The Lord desires for us to express his nature. First John 4, 7 through 10 states, Beloved, let us love one another, for God, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. And if you have time, read. Read the whole of 1 John. John 14, 34 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that also love one another. By this, all, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. We are bound in love to Jesus. We are commanded in Mark. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. As well as love your neighbor as yourself. By how well we perform at loving our neighbor, it can be seen how well we're in line and following loving our God. You cannot have one without the other. And one has to come or second. We're watched every day to see how we act, how we love. And when people say, I don't, I don't want to go there, I don't want to go to church, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And I've said that myself. But we should really turn the inspection inward to see if we're really loving God. Because if we really love God, that love would pour out of us seen so clearly it would, it would not even be questioned whether or not our love for God is true. Our love, better yet, His love expressed through us, through how we love, not only with one another, those in the church, but how we love those outside of the church is part of our witness. What's hard to swallow is so often we, we can't even get past the front doors. We have a hard enough time with, with the one another's. We get tripped up on a pebble and call it a stumbling block. That we can't even make it to the unbeliever. We fail in our homes and our marriages and our own time alone with God. And when we're out there in the world acting just as hurt as the world is, because we don't know how to love. We don't have the fullness of love that 1 Corinthians 13 lays out. And 
I know I'm preaching to the choir. I sure hope the Lord does a supernatural work with us. I know Pastor said it. I know the pastor last Sunday said it. Such dark days are ahead and we will have to let our lights shine. It's not going to be welcomed. You're going to be laughed. You're going to be scorned. You might even get beaten. But it's supposed to be this love that carries us through that. I also want to point out that when, when we love this kind of agape love. There may be times of hurt and disappointment. However, there is no room left for you to hold that hurt, that pain, that bitterness, offense, or gossip with this kind of love. Because when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, and strength, He will be all that consumes you. I'm not saying hurt won't happen. But when your eyes are focused on Christ, everything pales in comparison. You're focused on loving Him, on obeying Him, on following Him. And because He is what satisfies our soul, the hurt that an individual inflicted seems like a paper cut instead of a stab. So where does it come from? If you look over 1 Corinthians 13, you can place... Jesus, his name, in every place of all the ingredients in love. Christ's impossible. Christ is perfect. Christ envy is not. If we see ourselves lacking, just confess it and ask the Lord to provide it. It goes without saying to spend more time with him, with his word, and he will guide you in all truth. has left her first love. And without going into the history of it all, they, they lost their zeal for the Lord. They just began to go through the motions, not motivated by the love of Christ, but by the works themselves. What was once a love relationship with 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ 
because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all are dead. And that he died for all, that they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. that we'd have done more, that we don't wish that we'd have done better. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you protect all these people on the way home. <clears throat> Meet each and every single one of them where they are this evening. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.
let's truly enter in for just a few more minutes to see what the Lord has for us. We thank you, Father. We praise you, God. God, you are a father and never lies to a 
Amen. Good to see everybody. Y'all are looking good. I know we got a lot of people out enjoying all the great beaches in Ohio. <laughs> we took, we had the bright idea to take Cooper to a Great Wolf Lodge last week. It was a fun vacation for me. Um, we should have asked Cooper first if he was afraid of water. <laughs> a simple question that could have been answered, but no, we're parents that are still working on being parents. Amen. No, we had a, we had a, we had a lot of fun. I it it, it was funny. Um, I, I would watch. Uh, the, the men, Candace joked about it the other day, so she was out there. I was actually watching a, a game in, in the room. It was kind of late at night. And Candace was like, it was so funny. I was I was watching all the parents. And, you know, she was out there most of the day with Cooper. And, you know, I was doing my thing, you know, other stuff. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, but uh, she said, she, she, at the end of the day, you would see all the men, all the women are chasing, uh, the moms are chasing the kids everywhere, and I guess, you know, moms, you have to have energy, you just, you don't really have time not to, hey, I don't think I'll chase my kid, he's about to fall in, to, you know, seven feet of water, we'll just let him do that, you know, and you, you know, but the dads are all sitting around with beers in their hand, you know, and uh, just, just kind of waiting for the day to go by, and Candy said, every one of them, their faces, they look so miserable, you know? Anyways, it was a it was a good time. Got a few days to refresh, and you know, uh, got time to pray about all the problems that you guys have. And uh, <laughs> this morning, I want to just I want to say a few words. What a, what an amazing morning it's already been. You know, um, seeing uh, children come to the Lord at an early age. What better miracle is there than that? And so I was reminded this morning, and you guys know this, uh, this is a, actually a German poem that turned into a nursery rhyme that many of you have prayed. I know y'all thought it was in the Bible, but it's actually not. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die. Before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. If I should live for other days, I pray the Lord to guide my ways. Isn't it amazing how the Bible and the message of the gospel truly is the simplicity of God's character? But us as adults, as we age, we, we want to make God more complex than he is and I believe that we all get ourselves in a lot of trouble by complicating what we think is good theology with what is actually written in the word of God this morning I want to kind of take a, a, a quick trip um, in regards to a couple of topics that I, I believe you will leave your um, having a better understanding of navigating your life, um, a better understanding of um, how the enemy is seeking to 
um, destroy you, to destroy the church, to destroy uh, your family, your friends, your co-workers. Um, I mean, everybody should know in this room by now that the enemy is very real. This is not science fiction. This is a, a real uh, devastating enemy. Um, but he only has the power that we grant him. Everybody understand that? Why? Because we got the blood of the Lamb. And the blood is so much more powerful than a snake slithering around. Amen. This morning, I want to start here at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to 32. Maybe we can all kind of get warmed up in the next few minutes. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ has forgiven you. I don't know how many people in here have ever gone to Yellowstone Park. Candace and I were uh, briefly in it for a very small section when we lived in Wyoming. And I'm going to tell you, Yellowstone, as you know, is even if you haven't been there, you can see on National Geographic or whatever uh, show that the, the, the displays the power and the majesty and the vastness of this national park. It's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing place to go and to be. Um, if you ever get the chance, I would, uh, I would tell you, please try to get there. But, you know, with Yellowstone Park, there, there are five different entrances. And some of the entrances are on the Montana side and some are on the Wyoming side. And these entrances um, can, can close, but in the blink of an eye, they can close. They can close if a park ranger wants to close it. I mean, there could be 50 cars lined up waiting to get in and they can close it and they can leave it closed and, and, and they don't care. Um, there could be a snowstorm, there could be a blizzard, there could be all these things that impede these entrances into the park from happening or being open. And I, and I just want to make this very quick example that in our walk with Christ, when we see and we understand the attacks of the enemy, Satan's goal is to gain entrance into your life through a waypoint. A waypoint, if you, if you have a GPS or you got a GPS on your phone, you can actually drop, I have a picture of it, I think, there we go, that's one. But I have, you know, you can drop pins in different areas where you want to go, where you've been, where you've visited, and those, those pins will remain there. And in the same way, the enemy 
wants to pin you to certain areas of your life where he can go back and say, hey, I had an entrance in that area before and I'm going to get that area of penetration back again. The enemy is very cunning. The enemy, the enemy does his job very well. The enemy uses us to affect negative change in other people. <coughs> One of these days, I'm not going to have allergies in Ohio. Praise God. <coughs> One of the entry points the devil tries to use is to enter our lives and, and enter through relationships. If there is an unresolved issue or an ugly conflict with a loved one or a friend, these conflict points of entry often become broader scale entrances for the enemy to come in. We see this happening in marriages. We see it happening in churches. We see it happening in every aspect of our lives. And I want to point out very quickly, if I can get my voice back, that these cracks of offense, these cracks of turmoil and, and what some of us would call suffering, we're suffering for Christ. In many of these cases, these are entry points that we have opened ourselves. In Ephesians 4.27, which we just read, Paul writes, do not give place to the devil. <coughs> Excuse me. It's probably the, all the water I didn't get into at Great Wolf Lodge. Praise God. <laughs> the word place in the Greek is topos, which means a specific marked off geographical location. It carries the idea of a territory or a, a, a province, a region, a zone, or a geographical position. Because the word topos depicts a geographical location, this lets the enemy know exactly how to sliver into your life and your relationships and how to cause a disruption. So, and so I want to I want to say it this way, and this is something that that hit me late last night because I've had about three sermon changes in the last twenty four hours. And what the Lord told me last night, and, and he he called it out with three words, and he, he called it the bondage of refusal. Some of us, or all of us, at times get into a very dark climate of refusing, being in a state of spiritual refusal against God. You think you're in refusal against people, but you're actually in refusal against the obedience of God. Can, can I remind you guys that, that people are not the problem? I want to hear just a few more amens because Amen. I'm not convinced you're listening yet. 
The enemy is the problem. People are not the problem. When we allow the enemy to get into those cracks and crevices, those waypoints, those pen marks, and on our geographical life, we give him the authority to, to wedge himself in there and cause anarchy right. in our marriage, in our church, in all of our relationships. That's right. uh, what, let me give you a few examples this morning. What about a refusal to let go of old hurts and wounds? It's bondage. A refusal to acknowledge what we did wrong. A refusal to forgive others for what they did. A refusal to confront others in love. Matthew 18, if you want to look that up. A refusal to stay when the enemy wants you to run. A refusal to stop judging others for their grievances. A refusal to stop uh, to say or ask for forgiveness when we were actually wrong. Side note to you parents and grandparents, don't, don't teach your kids to say sorry. Yeah. Teach your kids to say, please forgive me. Amen. There's no power in saying, I'm sorry. I mean, didn't, didn't it just seem crass? Hey, I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. It's so easy. But when you when you say, please forgive me, there's so much anointing and power in that. Amen. Refuse to lay down or refusal to lay down our rights for others. I've heard me say this a million times. We, we always want to be right, but for some reason the body of Christ is not very interested in being righteous. You can be right and go to hell. You can be right about things and not have a relationship with Jesus. There's a lot of things in life that you can be right about, but it's not going to push you closer to having a better relationship with God. If you and I do any of these things that I just listed, we leave a marked off place, an entry zone for the enemy to get in. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. That greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Right? The Apostle Paul told us, do not give place to the devil. The Greek makes it clear that we must choose to give the devil no territory. If we even look at this definition, has anybody ever looked up the definition of devil? The word devil comes from the Greek word diabolos. It's an old compound word that is made from the words dia and balo. This name is used 61 times in the New Testament. The first part of the word is the prefix dia which means through and often carries the idea of penetration. Because dia is used at the first of the word, it tells us that the devil wants to make some type of penetration in your life. Listen, I know I'm a broken record about this, uh, and, I, and I say the same thing over and over again. 
but what are we as parents allowing our children to watch? Why do our children have phones at such a young age? Why are you allowing your children to be on an iPad alone in their room? Are you crazy? You are getting entrance for the enemy to slide in and become be, and, and, and start changing the tone of your child's life immediately. There was a there was a show that Cooper was watching. <clears throat> there was nothing wrong with the content. There was nothing wrong with the, 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 the words. There was nothing there was really nothing wrong with it, but 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 I had a grievance with this. The, the main character in this show. Because the main character is a, probably a 25-year-old male. But the 25-year-old male is not displaying the attributes of what God describes as a male. Was it overtly homosexual? No. But it was on the verge of going in a direction, and it was just too much. I said, no more. We're not. My dad! Ah, Mom! Dad's a monster! <laughs> no, son, that's called good parenting. Amen. Because, right? Because when, when, we, when we try to um, muzzle our children with TV and internet and games, by the time they are 13 or 14, now they are immersed in the sexual, lustful reality of our culture. And it is up to us to block the gates of those waypoints. To block the gates. You know, Candace and I have always been unpopular with our families. And we've been unpopular with both sides of our family because they always wanted us to give a little here, give a little there. You know, it was always, there was always, we were always getting made fun of for not doing Halloween. Hmm? Old pastor. Why, by the way, pastor, why, why don't we have Halloween parties at the church? Well, I'm sure you will one day, but I won't be the pastor then. Amen. Why? Well, it's not a, ooh, we're self-righteous and we're, we're holy and we're, we're, we're this and we're that and we want to look this way. No, it's out of the protection of our children from the dark side of this world. We, we live in a perverse and wicked land. Mom, Dad, can I go hang out at so-and-so's house? I don't know those parents. I don't know those kids. The answer is no. How many, how many date nights have Candace and I have not had because we just didn't feel like we had anybody to trust with our children when Bailey and Hayden were little. We've got to be thorough. 
We've got to be more thorough than the enemy is. And the enemy is very thorough about destroying your life. And destroying what, what God wants you to do. The will of God that you're following. He wants to annihilate every ounce of the Holy Ghost in your life. He wants to siphon out everything good that God wants to put in you and your relationships and your church. We've already seen that the devil is looking for an entry point. One point has been located through which we can secretly slip into people's lives, or he can, rather. He begins penetrating the mind and emotions to drive a wedge between those individuals and the other people in their life. I have never seen in my life and in my ministry so many people that cannot think for themselves. I don't care if you don't like what I'm about to say. I'm going to say it anyways. Your opinion and your judgment of someone else should be formed in your prayer room with God. Your opinion should not be formed by what mama and daddy said about somebody. Or what brother and sister said about somebody. Oh, well, they're my brother. If my brother said that, it must be true. Well, guess what? Family members lie too. Figure out for yourself. How do you do that? You look and you watch for the real fruit. It is a coward generation when you cannot face somebody face to face and tell them the issue that you have with them. It is a cowardly church. Oh, here we go, Court Riddle. Let's, let's, let me, let's give them something else to complain about and be mad at me about. Let's, let's, let's okay. It's okay. The criticism that we have towards ourselves and towards other people usually is being manifested out of our lack of self-worth. Everybody in America wants to have their self-worth. They take a pill for it. They take a shot for it. They get a massage for it. They go to the pool for it. They go on vacation for it. They buy a car for it. They go to a certain church for it. Anything that can make them feel good about themselves, whatever their drug of choice, they're going to do it. But guess what? None of it works. The only inoculation that you can receive that guards you from the absolute annihilation the enemy wants to bring into your life and into your children and your grandchildren is the protection, the inoculation is our lamb, our Savior. Everything else is not, it's not even beneficial. It doesn't work. It's just medication. It's just medication of you saying, hey, I just need to get, and most of us are just trying to get to the next day, but I'm going to tell you, that's not how the life in Christ is supposed to be. Oh, pastor, I'm just making it. I ask somebody, how you, how, how you doing today? Well, you know, I'm just, I'm just making it. Well, that sounds terrible. What, what happened to your day where you're just making it? Well, I, my wife got mad at me again. Oh, no. Well, guess what? My wife got mad at me three times today, and I still got joy. <laughs> Ask her. She's not even in here, right? She got scared. And, oh, she's there. Never mind. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Mama. That's right. 
<laughs> oh man, they're, they're making some great pull-out couches these days, uh, Ashley Furniture. You know, the clear evidence that the work of the accuser has found an entry point is when you see that your relationships are always under a heavy dose of drama. When you look at the even the close relationships in your life, you're always seeing some type of drama there, some type of exposure there. And I'm going to tell you guys, this can easily be stopped, but we are so horrible about stopping this. It can be stopped by saying, devil, you can't do this in my mind. I have the mind of Christ. I will not allow you. Jesus has given me authority over you. I am not going to allow you to get my mind thinking about that person that way. It all starts with a thought. The enemy plants the seed of thought and then you water it. He plants the seed of doubt. He plants the seed of, of discord. And then you water it. Other pe- and then he sends other people around and they water it. All, all he had to do was plant the seed. And because of our minds not being in the word of God. If you are not in the word of God, you are not arming yourself daily. Putting on the armor means getting in the word of God. Knowing the word of God. If you do not know the Word of God, you are going to be pushed around and bullied by the enemy for many, many years. I remember a time, and this is not a pity party thing, but we think about rejection. You know, sometimes it's good to be rejected. It's good to be rejected. I mean, honestly, if I think of it, we've been thinking about this all wrong for years probably in church life. Because we, we consider health based on high numbers, multiple services, a large bank account, a large savings account, all the fun trinkets, toys, and t-shirts, and, and church cups that we can produce. That's not success. And in fact, you can have all those things and be completely out of the will of God. You can jump around and you can hunt for the right church and and the right pastor that suits your itching ears. But guess what? You're still out of the will of God, no matter how happy you think you are on Sunday morning. When I was... uh, really young, probably seven or eight. Um, Both my parents worked, and I grew up in a middle-class family. We didn't have much, but we ate dinner together, and we had fun together. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Um, My parents would say, or my mom would say, rather, that that we were a Christian family. You know, we went to church twice a year. We were Christers, Christmas and Easter. And... uh, and, and, and that's just kind of how life was. And so I went to public school and I did all the things that other kids did. I, you know, I grew up in, in the 80s, which was a great time. If you missed the 80s, then you've missed, you know, um, good stuff, you know. 
And so I was outside. I was out of the house. I was on my bike. I was, if I went to school, I was on my bike. I wasn't inside the house. I wasn't, when, it, when I came in, it was because I was super hungry and super tired, right? But I remember um, just, just the, the horrific um, struggles that I saw on the school bus of, of, of kids. And I was always the littlest kid. I was always, I didn't, um, I didn't get taller until, you know, like college, <laughs> you know. Um, even when Candace, even when I was preaching uh, at, a, at a Baptist church, uh, for a young adult group, and that's where I met Candace. And you know, y'all know the story. She heard my preaching and fell instantly in love. Um, it's really not at all how it went, but uh, <clears throat> but you know, when she met me, and I don't know what this says about her, but she thought I was like 16. <laughs> you know, I was 20. Anyways, <laughs> something y'all gonna ask her about later, okay? Because um, I remember saying, "How old are you?" Like, I'm 20. She's like. Huh. She looked like 16 or 17, you know. Anyways, but during that time when I was a kid, I, I just I just had this horrible fear of you know all the bullies on the bus and all these big kids and nothing ever really happened to me. But but I I there was just this point in my life where I just felt rejected. There was just a state of rejection. My parents weren't rejecting me, um, but there were things happening in life and circumstances. With my brothers, you know, being arrested and going to prison, and and there was, you know, I saw violence in my home, and I saw a lot of alcoholism and a lot of drug use, and and all those things, and so I, I just didn't want to get on the school bus. Even seven, eight, nine years old, there was there was nothing you were going to do to get me on that school bus. You could fail me, you give me zeros, you know, I would skip school, I would I would pretend that I would get on the bus. Uh, around the block, and I would walk to school. You know, in those days, there was, you know, that was kind of illegal at that age. To, I don't know what it is now, but you know, but I don't think anything's illegal these days out here. But, but you know, I, I struggled with that. I struggled with the rejection. I struggled with feeling, you know, picked on or bullied, and 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 I did anything I could to 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 pull myself away from those situations. And I, and I find that us adults. We, we don't do very well with rejection. And, and I wrote this down yesterday morning. Their rejection of you is often God's protection of you. Their rejection of you is often God's protection of you. How, how, how do you guys know that the majority of the time when somebody is rejecting you, God is actually protecting you from another devastating relationship? We shun, we, we don't want to be rejected by people, but being rejected by people oftentimes means that you are doing the will of God. If you have a preacher, uh, a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary um, that, that is, has no enemies, I want to hear what they're preaching about. Because when you stand fast in the word of God, you're going to annoy people. You're going to frustrate people. You're going to annoy and frustrate the demons that, are, that have charge over these people. Do you guys realize that the enemy has sent a charge, an organized assault directly on you and your marriage and your children and your calling. There are certain demonic activity out there that has been assigned directly to you. 
And for you to, to under, not only understand that, but, but work in the anointing and know, hey, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to stand for this. It doesn't matter how bad I'm attacked or how bad I go through this, I'm not giving up my armor to the enemy. There was this, um, uh, I guess probably in my early 30s, I had this opportunity to do this really large, well, I didn't know it was going to be large, but it was, a, it was an Alzheimer's support group. And so I had just finished um, uh, my doctorate around this time. I was doing a lot of counseling, and I was working in health, working in end-of-life care, and they just asked me to do this support group at this, this large assisted living um, and it was assisted living that was nothing but Alzheimer's and dementia uh, residents. And so it was a caregiver support group. And so these, these men, it was mainly women, but there were some uh, male spouses there. And they would come to this group and, and they, and y'all know how I am, they, the, the, this, this place called Autumn Grove, they said, now, you know, we know you're a minister, but, you know, you got to really... Be careful. Whenever somebody starts saying, telling me to be careful with how I preach, I'm like, okay, thanks for saying that. That was just the go-ahead um, from the Lord to do the opposite. Anyways, that's just how I take it. Um, and and it's, it's always worked well for me in, in the medical field. And so so I started doing the support group. And a lot of the, it was just great. It grew and grew. We had like 40 people in the support group. And, and a lot of the questions that I would get in regards to rejection is, is the, the wives mainly would say, uh, Court, um, my husband is doing this. One minute he'll be fine, and the next minute he's he's cussing me out. He's you know rejecting me. It's not even my husband. I don't feel loved. I don't even want to be with him. Why do I why do I feel like this? Why am I going through this? And 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 the answers were very much the same every time this question came up. Is is he's not rejecting you? The disease process is rejecting you. You know, and I think that's a lesson for us that, that when we look at people and people are saying bad things about us or they're doing things against us, they're talking behind our back, but then they're smiling in our face. We have got to look at that as, hey, that's not that person. That is the disease of the enemy. You know, it's, I love how Jesus says this in Mark 12, 10 in the New Living. Didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. You know, I just want us to get out of this, this, this fleshly, worldly state of refusal. Stop refusing to lift your hands. Stop refusing to hit the altar. Stop refusing to apologize to your spouse. Stop refusing to spend time. Stop refusing to stay in bitterness. And stop refusing to, to make extra time for your kids and your grandkids. Stop being in the state of refusal that's doing nothing but damaging your future and your life. Praise team, y'all could come. I'll close with this. Ephesians chapter 6. You guys all know this very well. I want to I read it to you, and then I want to just ask a question. In verse 10 of Ephesians 6, it says, In conclusion, be strong in the Lord 
and the Amplified. Draw your strength from Him and be empowered through your union with Him. And in the power of His boundless might, put on the full armor of God, for His precepts are like the splendid armor of a heavily armed soldier, so that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the schemes and the strategies and the deceits of the devil. Now here's the part we all quote. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, which is contending only with physical opponents, but it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. So here's the question. Are all the struggles and battles that you're contending with... Don't answer this because you might answer wrong and I don't want you to be embarrassed. <laughs> that was a helpful tip right there, wasn't it? For the struggles and the battles that are in your life as a Christian, are any of those flesh battles? The answer is no. Every how do I know that? I just read it. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and darkness, darkness in high places, wickedness in high places. Let me say it again, because some of you still don't believe this. You still think that you're fighting against your son that's a drug addict. You still think you're fighting against your your spouse that's unsaved, that you're fighting against alcoholism, that you're fighting against whatever. It's, you're, you're in a state of refusal to accept that every battle in your life right now is spiritual. Oh, well, Pastor, what, what about this? What about, I'm telling you right now what the Word of God says. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You do not wrestle against people. You are wrestling against demonic activity. Somebody say amen when you get it. Because some of you are not. I want you to take this in. And I want you to take this gold nugget out with you today. And chew on it a bit and make sure it's real. Why? Because that's what you should do. When somebody preaches something to you, you should go out and you should confirm with what the Word of God says. And you should wrestle a little bit with it and chew on it. And, and if you have to chew up the meat and spit out the bones, then that, go ahead and do it. But I'm telling you right now, our struggle is not with flesh. I promise I'll preach better next week. Come back next week, even if you got a vacation. Next week, come back. Give me another chance. Now stand with me. Matthew 12, 33 and 37. Listen to this in the New King James. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit, brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth. Look, let me stop right there. 
If you're constantly saying negative things about yourself, about other people, you need to check yourself. Not my opinion. I'm, I'm only reading what Jesus is addressing. Brood of vipers. Two lines down, he says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. God is not forgetting about anything that we say. For by your words... You will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Charles Spurgeon says this, Another proof of the conquest of a soul for Christ will be found in a real change of life. If the man does not live differently from what he did before, both at home and abroad, his repentance needs repented of, and his conversion is fiction. Here's a, here's a tough question for you right now, and I hope you will close your eyes and ask yourself this question, right? Do you need to repent right now for your fake repentance? I know you don't like this. I know you want, want your pastor to be calm and polite and just, you know, lovey-dovey and invite you to dinner and all that stuff. Let the church pay for it, right? Right? We are so close. We are so close. Ask yourself that question right now. Is my conversion real? Is the fruit of my life in alignment with this scripture. You talk about rude and possibly unkind in today's standards. How would you like Jesus to look at you and say, brood of vipers? You think he'd walk out of his sermon? You think you'd get upset with him? You better believe you would. Why? Because we are all prone to think that we are better than we are. Look at your neighbor and say, you stink without Jesus. Uh, the Lord told us this was going to happen. 
people were going to fall away, that people would be deceived by unholy practices, unholy doctrine. Candace and I have had to take some stands in a few areas in, in our ministry over the years. We've had to take a stand here, and we've lost people over it. We've been talked about and we've been rejected. It's not a pity party. It's part of being a disciple that is more concerned with what Jesus thinks than what the world says. Why don't you all join the club? Join the club. Join the club of, of not saying that you're not now, but join the club of knowing that if you toe the line and you do what God has called you to do, you, you may lose some family members. You may lose some, you may be rejected by some friends that, by the way, were never really your friend in the first place. I know some of you don't like that because some of you, your, your joy comes from all the social uh, time that you have with other people. But that joy comes from the throne of God, not from people. Amen. The throne of God. If the Lord said to me today, Pastor Court, we want to buy you a Porsche 911, I would say yes. No, no. <laughs> but if that happened, and somehow I got the, the money to buy a Porsche 911, first of all, I would never park it here because it would look weird. I feel like it would be a, a witness issue for me, you know, or maybe not. I don't know. I would probably get over it. <laughs> but you know what? I, I would be very happy to have that little sports car. Candace wouldn't, wouldn't like it. Cooper wouldn't like it because he's not old enough to sit in it. So it would just be me, kind of like me on vacation by myself. <laughs> the same thing. Here's what I'm trying to say. I may be happy a few days with that car. But I can't receive any joy from a car. Can, can, I, can I tell you something that's going to really make you raise your eyebrows? Did, did you know that you can't really receive any true joy from this church? This pastor? The people to the left and the right? True joy is a manifestation of God's overflowing presence from His throne room. Not our I want you guys to close your eyes. I don't want to I don't want to rush out of here. We've only been in here an hour and 19 minutes. Let's take a few minutes and a second to just worship a bit. But I want to, I want to make an offer to you. If you're ready to get out of this place of refusal. Maybe you're struggling with rejection. Maybe uh, something, someone, a situation has, has you bound up in your mind. You're not able to let it go. Uh, can, I, can I tell you, if you're still talking about it, you haven't let it go. <laughs> if you're talking to your friends and your family about it, you haven't let it go. You haven't. When you lay things at the altar authentically and in a real and passionate way before God, you, 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 you're making this literal decision.
decision to say, God, you own all of this labor that I'm not supposed to be laboring in. You own it, God. You carry this yoke. You didn't even want me to carry this yoke. And so when you when you finally, some of you are in refusal of laying things down. Don't you realize how much more God is going to move in your life if you start laying things down that He is not pleased with? an endless list for so many of us. I mean, we're talking hundreds of items right now represented in this church of areas that God wants us to lay down. Maybe, maybe one of those we know for sure God doesn't want us entangled with is that root of bitterness. Unforgiveness. It is, is your eternity worth losing over not forgiving? Oh, well, Pastor, I, I believe once saved, always saved. Well, you better read your Bible. Because God tells us very clearly that if you cannot forgive others, God will not forgive you. Oh, but I'm saved. That doesn't apply to me. Please go read your Bible again. And again and again until you get this down deep in your soul. Yes, you can walk away from God and sin. Today, I want you to deal with this right now, this, this issue, this active refusal. But what, what do you have in your heart right now? What is, what is there? Maybe, maybe it's a, a grievance with somebody. Maybe it's a, 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 thought, a negative thought that you've had. Or maybe it's a lustful thought. Maybe it's something that you're attracted to. Maybe it is, it's, a, you're, it's an attraction to, to food or alcohol. There's, a, there's an emotional response there. These are all things that we have got to lay down before God and stop making excuses. saying you're not saved. I'm not saying that you're, that you're far away from God. What I am saying today is what God is telling me to tell you. And that is lay the things down in your life that are not pleasing to Him. Lay them down. Take every thought captive. Lay it down. Close these waypoints. Close these entrances to your life that the enemy just keeps walking in and out of. Shut off those devices. Take those things away from your small children. Monitor your teenagers. Come on, let's do the work of the ministry.